You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you now to take your Bibles and let's open them to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. I have chosen two sermons from the Gospel according to Mark today. In the morning we're going to look at Mark 1, the verses 14 through 20. Then we'll leave aside the verses 21 through 28, and this afternoon we'll look at the verses 29 through 39. So let's begin by reading Mark 1, the verses 1 through 20. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert... Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to Him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by Him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are My Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent Him out into the desert, and He was in the desert forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended Him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's turn ahead now to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. The events in this reading take place after Jesus goes from Nazareth down to Judea, but before He goes back up to Galilee. John 1, verse 35, The next day John, this is John the Baptist, was there again with two of His disciples. When He saw Jesus passing by, He said, Look, the Lamb of God! When the two disciples heard Him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. 
So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The text that I may bring God's Word to you from this morning is Mark chapter 1, the verses 14 through 20. I'd like to read it once more to increase our familiarity with it. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, He said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow Me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed Him. When He had gone a little farther, He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Him. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I understand that in the past week, your council had a meeting with the congregation. And that annual meeting that we have in our churches and sometimes more than annual, but at least annually. It's a time when we reflect on what are we going to do in the coming year? What plans does the Lord have for this congregation as far as we can see? What are we planning the Lord willing? Where should we work? How much can we do? How big will the work be? It's a question of what kind of plans there are. And if we think of our congregations, not just as congregation of Langley here, but congregation of Willoughby Heights next door and Cloverdale not too much further away and Surrey Maranatha and these four congregations here on the edge of Metro Vancouver, we ask ourselves, what plans does God have for us? How does He want us to use our abundant resources? Because we have been Richly blessed. And the Lord has given us opportunities. He's opened up doors overseas. He's opened up doors south of us in Brazil. He's opened up doors in our communities. The Lord may be calling us to much more work in our own communities. He may have big plans for us that we don't even realize yet. Surely the Lord wants to have the Gospel preached all over Metro Vancouver, in fullness, the full counsel of God. What plans might God have for us? Well, we don't know right now. And certainly in this sermon, I cannot start laying before you some grand plan in all sorts of details. But I do know what the Apostle Peter wrote to the church when he was writing to the believers, so many of whom were scattered all over the place. And he wanted them to take heart. And he said that 
God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. That's what we want to look at this morning. The calling of God. The God who called us by His own glory and goodness whose divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need to fulfill the calling that He lays upon us individually and as His church and as a group of churches in a particular area. And so from Mark's Gospel this morning, we hear of the call that the Lord Jesus Christ extends to His first official disciples. And our Lord will teach us about the background to this call to discipleship. He calls us in the midst of a, a gangster world, a broken world. And there are different voices and He calls. And His call is the call of grace. Come follow Me. Repent and believe the good news. That's especially from the verses 14 and 15 where we see that the Gospel call to faith comes first. But right after that, He follows it up immediately with the call to work. Verses 16-20. through 20. And so let's hear about this from Mark chapter 1, the verses 14-20. through 20. When Jesus calls disciples, He has big plans for them. And we need to ask ourselves that as we go through life. What big plans is the Lord putting in our path? What doors is He opening for us to step through? What is He asking us to do? Whenever we ask that question, whenever we seek to answer it, we always have to know, number one, the call to faith comes first. And the call to faith keeps coming back. And number two, the call, the gospel call to work quickly follows. So the gospel call to faith comes first. The first thing we need to learn is a bit more about the gospel according to Mark. It's shorter than the other gospels. And teachers sometimes will tell you that in order for a book to be included in the New Testament, it has to be written by an apostle. But that's not always precisely true. Mark, for instance, was not an apostle, though he worked closely with the apostles. We can read about Mark in the New Testament as a member of the early church. He's called John Mark or John also called Mark. He had a mother. Her name was Mary. He had a cousin. His name was Barnabas. And his mother had a large house in Jerusalem with servants and quarters for large gatherings. We learn that from Acts chapter 12. It's in the verses 12 to 17 where Peter is miraculously led out of prison in the dead of night by an angel. And where does he go? Mary's house, which is also Mark's house. And if John Mark was there at that time, this would have made a great impression on him. It was around that time also that Paul and Barnabas, Mark's cousin, went on their first missionary journey. John Mark accompanied them part of the way, but then left them. That's in Acts 13. So later, when the church of Antioch sent them out for a second missionary journey, Paul did not want to take Mark along and he parted ways with Barnabas. The two cousins went one way and Paul got Silas and went with him. 
but didn't stay that way. Near the end of the Apostle Paul's life, we read that he had Mark by him again and relied on his valuable assistance. It's in three of his letters. And he even asked that Mark would come to him. Mark had the blessing of ministering side by side with Peter as well. For we read in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, she who is in Babylon, the church in Rome that is, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, the ones Peter writes to, sends you her greetings as does my son Mark. Very close relationship therefore with Peter, between Peter and Mark. His, he calls him his son in the faith. So Paul, Peter, Barnabas, Silas, Mark, they're all disciples for whom the Lord had big plans. If they had written at the age of 16 what they thought their life was going to be like, and then looked at it when they were 50, if they reached that age of 60, it would be two very different things, wouldn't it? Well, Mark's Gospel as we said, the shortest, and it's very action-packed, moves very quickly from one event to another. And the question is, how did Mark obtain his information? If you open Luke's Gospel, he says he did lots of historical research. He was a good historian. Mark doesn't tell us. But we know from good early church sources that Mark recorded what one of the apostles recollected, and that apostle was Peter. The church father Papias tells us that Mark sat at Peter's feet and Papias passes this on as information that was given to him by the Apostle John. The Gospel was composed in Italy, likely in Rome, and might also therefore be called the Gospel according to Peter. And it's interesting to think of it that way because its style is like Peter, moving quickly from one thing to another, Deeply devoted to the Lord. So it comes from the Apostle Peter via John Mark, sometime helper of Peter and Paul. These are all disciples who did immeasurable good for God in this world because God had big plans for them. Now John also said that Mark did not himself witness the whole ministry of Christ, but he lived through as we know, the astonishing explosion of that ministry as the Gospel spread all through the Roman Empire. And so that's why he opens his Gospel account by saying the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark and Peter regarded all the time of Christ's life on earth, His teaching, His suffering, His death, and resurrection to mark the beginning of the good news. And after that beginning, they regarded the spread of the church after Pentecost and all the work of the Holy Spirit then and now and until Christ's return as the rest of the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the rest of the good news. They saw His big plans coming true. And so through the ages, Christ has gathered disciples of all nations and united them by the clear call of Word and Spirit. And so the Gospel continues its work today. Now Mark's Gospel comes from the spiritual and mature Peter. For he doesn't glorify himself. 
This is something you can note with more all the writers of the Bible. They don't glorify themselves. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit to glorify God. So Peter in this Gospel according to Mark is sure to tell us that Jesus had to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. And on the other hand, Peter doesn't give the full, the fulsome confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, like Matthew does. It's just you are the Christ. Mark's Gospel does not include Peter walking on the water, but it certainly does include Peter's denial of Christ. Well, in Mark chapter 1, what we're looking at, verses 2 and 3, John the Baptist enters as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies. And so, he's going to run ahead and he's going to prepare the way. And there's going to be a strong connection between Isaiah 40 to 66 and all those prophecies and the way that Mark's Gospel is presenting Christ to us. So let's turn directly to our text. Once John was imprisoned, Jesus went to work. And verse 14 states this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So Jesus took the capture of John to be a sign from God to go to work Himself and to do so in Galilee rather than around Judea where John had been captured. Jesus had been doing some work before this, for John relates that Jesus and John the Baptist were preaching and baptizing at the same time, at least for a short while. That's in John 3, verse 22 to 36. And we also know from John 1, verse 35 to 42, which we read, that some of John's disciples followed Jesus, at least for a day. And the next day, Jesus took Philip and Nathanael and went up to Galilee. And we'll examine this further in a moment. Right now we must notice that Jesus went up to Galilee where He grew up. And there some people knew Him, but this time He had a new message. Verse 15, The time has come, He said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus here changes from being the young man of northern Galilee, of northern Israel and Galilee, to being the herald of God. The time has arrived. The right moment in God's plan in this big scheme of redeeming people. That's what the word actually means in verse 15. The time has come. is not just the time on the clock, but the moment. The moment has arrived. And Jesus didn't just say, it's come, but it's a more descriptive word. The moment is being fulfilled. It's coming to fulfillment. It's been fulfilled. And so God's big redemptive plan is unfolding. Jesus has read the Scriptures. He's taking on His particular role as promised Messiah. He knew that the way had been prepared. And there's something decidedly new about what Jesus says. John the Baptist preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus repeated this, but He didn't merely come with judgment like John. John said, Repent, for His winnowing fork is in His hand, and He'll purge this world with fire. And Jesus said, Repent, and believe the good 
news. There's a fundamentally positive angle to the preaching of Jesus. The time for the unfolding of the redemptive message has come. That's good news. People are going to be bought back from sin. Jesus is coming to proclaim the good news about Himself and to draw disciples. And note well, Jesus is in Galilee. This is uh, more like more like Surrey than Langley. It's more like gangster land. And Galilee is up in the north. It's the rougher part of, of the country. And Judea is the place of more of the religious and, and supposedly the good people. But Jesus goes up to Galilee and God chooses whom He will. And the first thing He does is call us to faith. Verse 14 says that He came proclaiming the good news of God. The summary statement is packed with some of the most important words for Jesus' ministry. It states that He heralded the Gospel of God. He began speaking loudly as a herald might speak for a king. Make way! Hear ye! Hear ye! And the message is, so that's the one word that He heralded or proclaimed it. And the message He proclaimed is the Gospel. The good news. And that comes, for example, from Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 where the runner is coming from the battlefield with the happy news of victory and he runs over the mountains and his feet are beautiful because they're the feet that are bearing the good news for the people back home. Announcement of victory and therefore of peace. So Jesus came into Galilee, the area of His childhood, teenage, and early adult years, and His feet came running over the mountains of Judea to Galilee and saying, Hear the good news! The Kingdom of God is near. The power of God is in your midst. And so those words, when Jesus says the Kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news, they explain what it means that He was announcing the good news. They give you some detail. Saying God's rule is breaking into society. God is going to show His authority. God is going to show His power. This is going to be a great time. And there's also this urgency in these words that if people would not heed what Jesus is saying about God's kingdom coming with His power, then that same kingdom is also going to have its power against them. It'll bypass them. It'll leave them in chains and shackles. There won't be freedom for them. But if they would believe that this kingdom brought with it the gospel of victory in the person of Jesus, then they would be saved. Now we all realize Jesus is going to call some particular men in the following verses. They're going to be His disciples, but it's important from the verses 14 and 15 to establish the proper context and the proper foundation for their calling as disciples. Jesus never calls anyone to work for Him without first calling them to believe in Him. He will have big plans for them, but the first step in every such plan is to acquaint them with the Gospel and call them to faith. And this is as true of lawyers as it is of fishermen, as it is of mechanics and homemakers and everybody. The first thing Jesus does is call us to faith. 
But he does that in the context of promising everything that the kingdom of God has to offer through the Gospel. When we are baptized, even as infants, God promises everything His kingdom has to offer, which is especially the Father's providential love, the Son's redeeming love, and the Holy Spirit's transforming love. And He calls us to believe in the good news that all these promises are available as pure gifts. God has big plans for every disciple of Christ, but they all start with the gift of faith. That's why He calls us to repent and believe. So whenever you think that His tasks are way too much, that they're just overwhelming you, they're too hard, then you go back, you go back to the basics. God's first, Jesus' first and primary call is to faith. First, He wants you to believe all that He has promised. Primarily, the Messiah is calling you to faith. Believe what He says. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Put your confidence in Him. He is who He says He is. The King in this heavenly kingdom. And beyond that, He has big plans for you. That's not to overwhelm you. That's not to immobilize you with fear. It's to make you realize that His kingdom is more glorious, it's more interesting, more powerful than any other. His big plans for you are also to make you realize that you cannot carry the task out under your own strength. But only with faith in Him. Faith. Trust. Time after time, you have to go back to the basics of faith in Christ. Every day. That way you'll be enabled to do the task He gives you. So let's see that in the second place. The Gospel call to work quickly follows. So as Jesus makes this northward journey from Judea, that's one area, geographical area, up to Galilee, another geographical area, He goes by the Jordan as you typically do instead of going through Samaritan country, you go around it a bit. And you go up around the Sea of Galilee. And there he sees these men fishing. There are more men who fish there, but he sees Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Well, Mark doesn't tell us that Jesus already knew these two men. He doesn't tell us either that they were previously disciples of John the Baptist. We learn this from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35 to 42. John 1, verse 36. John points to Jesus who's walking nearby says, look, there, that's the Lamb of God. Evoking Isaiah 53. And then in verse 37, two of John's disciples follow Jesus after John has said this, pointed out Jesus. And in verse 38, Jesus says, hey, what do you want? And they say, where are you staying? And He says, come and see. And in verse 39, we read that they went and stayed with Him for about a day. Or for that day. And one of those two men was Andrew, verse 40 says. And he brought his brother Simon to Jesus. So Jesus then changed His name to Peter to indicate something new was beginning in Simon's life. And now here in chapter 1, these two men 
are back to fishing. They've made the journey up north again. They're fishing. And that's because John the Baptist has been imprisoned. So John the Baptist's plans seem to be over. And now they're going to find out Jesus has other plans for them. Jesus definitively calls them to be His disciples not just for a day, but for the rest of their lives. These men have already heard the Gospel. The Gospel called to believe. They had believed. They had been baptized in preparation for Jesus' coming. So they had heeded the call to believe. And now the Gospel called to work quickly follows. They have to follow Jesus. And the wording for following Jesus, follow me, means to get in behind Him and just go where He goes. It's a suitable description of discipleship where the student not only learns facts from his teacher, but learns the way of life that is demanded. And if you think of the narrow paths of Galilee, you don't pave a big path. You just cut a little narrow one right through the middle of the wheat fields and you walk single file. So follow me has that imagery. And Jesus calls these men to be His full-time disciples before any of His miracles, before any deeper or lengthier teaching. And from the start, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus underlines the importance of duplicating the message. He collects and calls disciples who must follow Him. That is, do like He does. Learn from Him and announce the same message. Jesus tells them, Come, follow Me, and I will make you fishers of men. Well, these are big plans for Simon and Andrew. These backcountry boys are going to catch much bigger fry than what they could find in the Sea of Galilee. And their water is going to be the whole world, and their fish will come in many kinds. And they're going to gather them up put out their nets and gather them up with men caught in them. In Jeremiah 16, verse 16, the Lord had promised, but now I will send for many fishermen and they will catch the scattered Israelites. And on the one hand, that text refers to God mercifully gathering His lost people. That's the preceding context. But then as it follows, it moves into another image of hunting them down to make them pay for their crimes. And that's more typically the uh, fisherman type of imagery in the Old Testament. It's got a negative slant to it, actually. So these fishers of men will have a twofold task. They'll catch those who need salvation and they'll bless them with the good news. Repent and believe the good news. But they'll also catch those who resist the Lord and will warn them that if they do not repent, then punishment will follow. They must do like Jesus is doing and like Jesus is about to do. Comfort, but also clear the temple. Encourage, but also admonish the leaders. Strengthen His people, but also oppose their enemies. So Peter and Andrew, James and John were called to be the first full-time disciples of Jesus. They were not learned men. They were not influential. They were not considered important. 
but they were called. They were called, and that's what matters. And many others have been called since then. Isn't that wonderful? You could be the most learned person in the world, but the thing you're going to put first in your mind, in your life, in your talk is, I'm a Christian. I'm called. comes before everything else. So these men are asked to leave behind the regular calling of life and dedicate themselves to spreading the Gospel. And really, congregation, it's very fitting again after you have a congregational meeting. A text like this points out the need for preachers of the Gospel to lay aside their other talents and occupations, whatever they may or may not be, lay them aside to be devoted exclusively to the Gospel call to work for Jesus Christ. They should not be occupied with having to earn their own living, but should be supported in it by the church, just as these men left behind their nets and were served by a group of very faithful women who ministered to the needs of Jesus and His disciples. Already see the beginning of that in the afternoon sermon. So brothers and sisters, when Jesus says, follow Me and I'll make you fishers of men, He's saying, I have big plans for you. And He's saying this for you as well. Individually, sitting here this morning and as church. God has plans. Now you may not be called to walk across continents bringing the Gospel village by village or to go to all the major city centers or perhaps to be part of a core group for a church plant. Maybe maybe you won't be called for that. Or maybe you are being called for that. Maybe you are being called for that right now. No matter what kind of specific task, you're still expected to follow the commands and the example of your Master Jesus Christ. We're all students of His. We're all to be engaged in works of service, in ministering to the church, to one another, in using the gifts and talents the Lord has given us. We're all called to reach the world wherever God puts us. That's part of God's big plan. And He's revealed that's part of His plan for you. And that should be a big deal for you. That should be a grand thing to represent Christ. Most wonderful man who ever lived. Who's also your holy and divine Savior. Ephesians 4 verse 11 speaks about God appointing pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service. The pastors and the teachers don't do all the work. They do the equipping. They seek to make disciples of all nations. And you are those disciples who are to be shaped and formed after Christ. And so the Apostle Paul exhorted the churches, follow my example even as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. So when Jesus calls you to be His disciple, and He's calling every single one of you every Sunday again, He has plans for you. You don't know what they are a year from now or a few years from now, but He has plans for you. And you shouldn't think too small. And you should understand that Jesus doesn't come and first gauge your potential. First, He calls you to faith. Because faith is your living connection with God by which all the strength and the gifts you need will flow. And then He calls you to action. 
And in both cases, He provides the gifts of faith, love, and strength that you need for faith and action. He brings you into the kingdom of God where God is acting, where Christ is King, where the Holy Spirit is mighty and indwelling. He calls you to faith first of all, but then immediately along with the gift of faith, His Spirit gives you gifts to bless the church and strengthen it to reach out to the world with the good news of God. Remember, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So you also are to be a fisher of men, an aroma of life to those who are being saved, and an aroma of death to those who oppose your Master Jesus Christ, that they might taste a bit of that and turn to life. It's a terrible world in which we live, but we are called to be what's good in this world. We're called to represent and advocate for the cause of the great and true King Jesus Christ. So you should reflect Christ in word and deed in order to win your neighbor for Christ. You're called to that in your place and time just like the apostles were in a more concerted way in their place and time. This is what gives you direction, gives you purpose, and gives you joy. You've been recreated to be disciples of Jesus Christ, so brothers and sisters here in Langley, don't think too small of your calling. Don't think too small of His kingdom and His plans. He's a glorious King of the universe, so think big. Think about long life in the kingdom of God. Think about the power of the kingdom being everywhere. And draw others in through prayer and the Word of God. And may each of us be strengthened as we step up with zeal and enthusiasm wherever God has put us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.